this morning we're starting a new sermon series called Killing It. And what this sermon series is all about is there are things that can creep into our lives without us even knowing it uh, that harm our relationship with God and harm our relationship with others. And it's important for us to take a look in the mirror and sometimes do a self-check on some of these issues uh, to kill these issues before they kill us. And the idea here is, in preparation as we build up for Easter, is that the powers that be, when they wanted to kill Jesus on the cross, one of the things that happened instead is that all the baggage uh, that sometimes we have, that was nailed to the cross and that was put to death instead. And so, in preparation for Easter, we want to look at some of these issues that kill us before, or that we can kill before, we, before they kill us. And three of those issues are religion, pride, and approval. And so with that, I'll pray and we'll jump into the message. Uh, dear God, uh, this morning, um, as we wrestle with this topic, God, I pray that you speak to our hearts uh, individually, Lord, and just um, speak to us where we are in terms of uh, how we can all um, improve in this area and just help us get out of this message uh, what you would want us uh, to get from you this morning, God. All these things in your son's name. Amen. All right, so this morning, we're going to be talking about killing religion. And I know what some of you are thinking. Last time I checked, Christianity is a religion. So where are we going with this, right? And I disagree with that statement. I don't think that Christianity is a religion. And as I go through this message this morning, you'll see why I say that. Uh, But before you can determine whether something is something or not something, you have to look at the definition uh, to see if it fits that definition. So the definition of religion... If you look in the dictionary, it says that religion is the service and worship of God or the supernatural or the commitment or devotion to religious faith or observance. And so do we serve God as part of our faith? Yes. Do we worship God as part of our faith? Yes. Do we devote ourselves to observances? Yes. But the thing that makes Christianity different is that Christianity is more than just those things. Christianity at its core is not a religion. Christianity is a relationship with a living God. That's what makes Christianity different. And there are some real dangers that we have when we take Christianity and we make it a religion and not a relationship. We're going to talk about some of those dangers uh, this morning. Uh, the first danger that it creates is when we make Christianity a religion is, it, is in Christianity becomes all about tradition or all becomes all about this cultural identity. Um, there was a study done a few years ago that looked... Um, at the percentage of Americans that identified themselves as Christian. And one of the things that came out of the study is the, the, the news reported say, oh my goodness, Christianity is, is declining in America, because they looked at this trend. In 1990, 86% of Americans would say that they're Christian. In 2008, that number was down to 76%, and then in 2015, that number dropped to 71%. And people said, ah, Christianity is declining, Christianity is declining. See, I don't think that's what that shows at all. I think what that shows is people are just being honest about who they are and what they believe. And so another interesting thing that came out of this study is that um, they asked this question. They asked people to, to agree or disagree with this statement. And the statement was this, good works result in going to heaven, okay? Good works result in going to heaven. Only 28% of people surveyed said they strongly disagreed with that statement, okay? But when you put those two numbers together, 71% of people said they were Christian, but only 28% said they strongly disagree with that statement. That shows that there is a disconnect between what people were calling themselves to be Christian and what Christians actually believe. And so what this does is, and you know, I, I don't 
it's hard to say that about every single one of those people, but I, I, would, I would venture to say that a lot of those folks who would identify themselves as Christian in 2008 and not 2015, uh, they probably weren't Christians to begin with, to be honest. You know, it's probably somebody that just said, hey, I went to a Christian school or something, or I grew up Christian, so I'm a Christian, and now they're looking at it and saying, well, I'm, I don't believe this anymore, or I never married believed it in the first place. And so the dangers of making uh, Christianity religion is because people can identify themselves with this religion and they don't have a relationship with God, and they don't really understand what Christians believe. Um, and to see an example of this in the Bible, let's turn to Mark uh, chapter 9, or I'm sorry, chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. We'll start in verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands. And he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. And see, what happened here, what's going on here, is that the Pharisees were a sect that believed in strict observance with God's teachings. Now, that in and of itself wouldn't be a bad thing. But what they did is they took these commands from God, and they added layer upon layer upon layer of tradition and other stuff they added onto it to make people, to keep people from breaking uh, the commands of God. And then in the process, it became more about these external conditions than about the internal rule that was there in the first place. And so, and I think, you know, the, I mean, the reason I think the Pharisees did this is because when we talk about the difference between external and internal, I mean, religious people are really good about putting on a show for the external part of religion, right? It's the internal stuff is the hard part. It's easy to not do things. It's hard to, it's, the heart is the issue. That's where the hard part is. And so that's why I think the Pharisees wanted to focus on the external and not the internal. And see, nowhere in the scriptures did it command people to wash their hands like the Pharisees were trying to get them to do. Instead, that was a tradition that they had added. And now, is there anything wrong with washing your hands? Of course not, right? Thank goodness. I'm a germaphobe. I wash my hands all the time. But that's not what's going on here. Instead, the Pharisees took something that they added to it, and then they were condemning others because they were not following these traditions, and this is why this is such a big deal, because Jesus said is when you do this, when you elevate these traditions, these extra things to the level of God's commands, then it becomes more about following the traditions of people and less about following the commands of God. And this is important. Jesus never said, don't follow God's commands. I'm not saying, do not follow God's commands. But the problem is, is whenever we take human traditions and replace them with God's commands, that's where the issue happens. Because this is a pillar of legalism. This is where, um, this is where, this is where this um, this idea that we that we make religion something or make Christianity religion something it's not. That's where that comes from. 
And, you know, one of the things that happens with, with our faith is that sometimes um, you may be going through something in your life where God tells you, you feel like God's really telling you to, to do something. An example of this, uh, one time I was talking to somebody and they said, you know, I feel like God's really telling me just to give up Facebook right now. It's, 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 it's messing with my heart. I'm looking at these things. I'm being envious. I'm not content with where I am. I want to give up Facebook, okay? Now, if that person were to say, I want to give up Facebook and hey, all of you people that are still on Facebook, mm -mm 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 -mm, right? That'd be a problem because that's taking something that God gave them individually and now uh, looking down on people with spir spiritual superiority because they're not following that. On the other hand, is if, you, if somebody said, hey, God's telling me to give up Facebook, and by the way, I'm not picking on Facebook, I'm just using this example, okay? If somebody said, hey, God's telling me to give up Facebook, and then you looked at them and be like, well, that's not in the Bible. I don't know what you're thinking, you self-righteous blah, 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 you know? then that would be a problem too. And so you see how this works. And that's, that's the difference between taking something that's God's commands and then taking something that God has commanded you and trying to apply it and condemn others with it. And so the other danger of this, of this, of this issue, and this is kind of a lead into the, to the second part of this, is then there becomes the issue of, of self-righteousness. And I'll kind of demonstrate the problem with, with self-righteousness. So uh, I am a better driver than all of you all. Okay. I'm a better driver because I know all the traffic laws, and I follow all the traffic laws, and if everybody else followed all the traffic laws like I follow the traffic laws, the roads would be a lot better place. Okay? I'll give you some examples of this. Okay? The first law that I follow that some of you don't is yield does not mean stop. Okay? That's an important one. Here's another one. The right lane is for driving, the left lane is for passing. Okay? That is, that is in the West Virginia Code, I'm telling you, it's there, okay? It's a law, I'm being serious. Here's another one that I think like half of Charleston does not understand this. The law actually says if somebody is parallel parking in front of you, you are supposed to give that person space so that they can park. For some reason, people in Charleston think that if you're trying to parallel park, that means I'm supposed to get right up next to you and honk my horn and be like, what are you doing? I'm, you know? Again, so if everybody else followed the law like I followed it, roads would be a better place. So I follow all of the traffic laws. I follow almost all the traffic laws. <laughs> I follow the ones that matter. Like the whole speed limit. 75 and 70, it's pretty much the same thing. Stop signs when you come to them. If you know, nobody else is there, you can kind of just slow down and go right through. That's okay, right? Um, it's a good thing you didn't look at my car the past couple days because uh, I've been driving the past 10 days on an inspired inspection sticker. But hey, my car's kind of new, so that one doesn't matter. That's okay for me not to follow that one. And so you see the problem with when we, when we, when we make something all about the rules and want to have this self-righteous attitude about the rules is what ends up happening. You break a rule. And then what ends up happening if you break a rule and you're all about the rules? We have a word for that. What is it? Hypocrite, right? I hope whenever I started out by saying I'm a better driver than you, I hope that I hope you were like, well, hold on a second. That's, that's not, you know, no. And that's what happens. That's what our self-righteousness does. Um, in the book of James, it says that, uh, James 2.10 says that Forever who keep, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. We talked about uh, the hypocrite word. And the word hypocrite actually comes from the Greek word that means an actor. 
And that's a great uh, explanation about what uh, hypocrisy and what a hypocrite is. And, and back when Jesus walked the face of the earth, there was a group of people that he loved uh, to engage them on their hypocrisy. And we talked about it a minute ago, but that was uh, the Pharisees. And so um, we're going to look at a story in John 9 that I think really demonstrates the issue with, self -right with the self-righteous attitude. And you're going to see the danger of self-righteousness in the story. So we're going to look at um, John chapter 9. And it's a long story, so I'm going to kind of paraphrase some of it as we go through it. And so what's going on in John 9 is that um, Jesus and his disciples come up, come upon uh, this guy who's blind, okay? And what Jesus does is Jesus spits on the ground and makes mud, and then takes that mud and wipes it in the blind man's eyes. And he says, go watch at the pool of Shalom, and you're, you'll be healed. And so the guy goes and washes, and sure enough, he's healed. So first off, that's gross, right? Remember, I'm a germaphobe. I think that's disgusting. I wouldn't want somebody wiping their spit in my eyes. But that's what Jesus does. And he goes, and he's healed. And so the guy comes back, and all of his neighbors um, say, hey, that was the guy who was blind that used to be a beggar, but he's, he's healed now. What, what happened? And then some of the other neighbors say, well, no, 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 that's, that guy just looks like him. That's not, that's not the blind guy. But they take him before the Pharisees to do an investigation about this healing. And so, um, here's the problem, though, is this healing happened on the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath was created by God to be a blessing to people. It was meant to be a good thing. It was meant to tell people to take a break and focus on me for a day. Take some rest and focus on me. But what the Pharisees did, because remember the Pharisees were so about adding all these other things to the commands that God gave, is that the Pharisees added these whole other layers of traditions to the Sabbath and took something that was meant to be a blessing for people, and it ended up becoming a curse because nobody could keep all these Sabbath rules, and they kept breaking them, and the Pharisees were condemning them because they couldn't keep all these Sabbath rules. An example to show how just legalistic the Pharisees got with the Sabbath is that it was okay to ride a donkey on the Sabbath because the donkey was doing the work. But the minute that you took a switch and hit the donkey to make it go faster, you're breaking the Sabbath because now you're doing the work. So they added all these layers upon layer upon layer to, these, to, these, uh, to the command of God to enforce the Sabbath. So that's where we pick up in verse 14. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. This, he's talking about Jesus. This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how could a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Now, I mean, just take a step back here and think about what happened. So you had a guy who was blind. Jesus comes, makes mud, wipes it in the guy's eyes, and now he can see. That's amazing, right? Wow. But the Pharisees couldn't see past that fact because Jesus did it on the Sabbath. Jesus broke the law. He broke the Sabbath. 
And so there was a question in their mind about whether God did this or whether it was something else because Jesus broke the Sabbath. It doesn't make any sense. This isn't from God. And so they say, the Pharisees said, well, we don't really think this was from, we, we don't really believe this story. So we're going to go ask this guy's parents. And so the Pharisees drag the parents in there. And they ask the parents, they say, you know, was this your son? And the parents say, yeah, that's our son. And he was born blind. We don't understand what happened after that, but he, that was our son, and he was born blind. And so the Pharisees drag the guy back in for more questions. Verse 24. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know is I was blind, but now I see. I love that response. The guy says, I don't, I don't understand this. The only thing I know is that I was blind, I encountered Jesus, and now I see. And the Pharisees go on. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? I like this guy. <laughs> then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And the man's response, I love his response here. It's kind of like a, it's like a mic drop moment. I love his response. You ready for this? The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. And so this, there's a great beauty in this story is the fact that the man who was born blind, the man who used to be a beggar, was standing in front of these religious experts, and he was telling them what they were blind to. And that was the fact that God, that this was God's work, that God did this. And here's another reason why I think the Pharisees um, didn't want to acknowledge this, is that there's a, there was a prophecy in the book of Isaiah that uh, was a messianic prophecy that they prophesied that the Messiah would open the eyes of the blind. And throughout the Old Testament, throughout all the Bible, the prophets did amazing things, but nobody up to this point had healed a blind person before, right? And so this is pretty incredible that you have a, a prophecy about the Messiah is going to open the eyes of the blind, and here was a guy who was blind, and now his eyes have been opened and he can see. I mean, what are the Pharisees supposed to do with that? To me, that's pretty compelling. So if they acknowledge it, it's kind of like they have to acknowledge Jesus as Messiah, which they don't want to do. And so instead, what do they do? They take the guy who was blind when they should have been celebrating this fact and said, that is amazing, you can see, we are so happy for this, praise God. That was not their attitude. They said, you're a sinner, get out of here. And so they kicked him out. And so when Jesus found out that they kicked this guy out, Jesus found him and Jesus asked him a simple question. He said, do you believe in the Son of Man? In other words, do you believe in the Messiah? And this is what the man says in verse 37. I'm sorry, 38. Sorry, 36. Somewhere in there. 
Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into the world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. So the Pharisees who were with him heard him say this too and asked, what, are we blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. And so I started the story by saying that this story shows one of the dangers about making Christianity um, about self-righteous attitude. And here it is, is that the Pharisees, who remember were self-righteous religious leaders, they saw a walking, talking miracle. They saw the power of God. They saw the work of the Messiah. They saw a righteous action. They saw a compassionate action. They saw love poured in to this beggar. But because of this artificial legalism that they had created in their head, they were blind to the work of God. And meanwhile, the man who was blind before, he looked at this and said, all I know was I was blind. I encountered Jesus. Jesus changed my life, and now I want to follow him. The Pharisees looked at this from a religious perspective. The man looked at this from a perspective of a relationship with Jesus. And here is the beautiful irony of this story is that there is a big difference between spiritual blindness and just simply refusing to open your eyes. See, self-righteous religion makes us shut our eyes to the works of God in our lives because we would rather focus on what we are doing and we don't want to focus on what God is doing. But a relationship with Jesus makes us see God's glory in our lives because we see what God is doing in our lives despite what we are doing. And so if you think about the heart of the blind man after this, so he encounters Jesus, he wants to be in a relationship with Jesus, he wants to worship Jesus, he wants to follow Jesus. He wants the relationship. The Pharisees, they saw this, and what did they do? They wanted to kill Jesus because he broke the Sabbath. That was their response to this incredible incredible event. And so we talk about spiritual blindness, and the the great thing about this story is that Jesus offers the same thing that he offered to the blind man. He offers that to to us today. He offers healing from our spiritual blindness. He offers to help us take uh, the human traditions, the religions, all the things that we add to the Christian faith. He offers to take that from us so that we can focus on him and have a relationship with him. He offers to help heal us from our self-righteous attitude, from, the, from, our, from our desire to want to pat ourselves on the back and look about what we want to do. He heals us from that so that we can put all those things aside and we can focus on his righteousness and what he's done in our lives. See, Christianity is so much more than religion. Christianity is about a relationship. And so we're going to take communion now. And I think that communion is a great um, thing to do 
out of this message. Because here's the thing with communion. As we talked about you know, human tradition and kind of going through the motions and all that stuff, communion could be something like that. You know, communion could be something you pass the elements by, you take it, you take communion, and it's just you just go through the motions and you don't really even do anything with it. Communion can be something like that. But communion can also be a chance for us to take a step back and look at our own lives, look at our own faith, and examine our own hearts to see where we are on the spectrum of human tradition, self-righteousness, or relationship with Jesus. And so that's what I would encourage you to do during this time of communion, is ask yourselves, where, where am I on this question? Is Christianity for me, is it nothing more than a religion? Or is Christianity for me about a relationship with Jesus? And there may be some of you today who, who you're here, and, and that's, you know, you would define yourself as a Christian because you grew up a Christian, you've been to church, you, you know, that's, that's just what Christianity is for you, it's just what you do. But you've never actually sought out that relationship with Jesus. And I would say make today that day where you say, I'm going to put aside all these other traditions and everything else that comes with Christianity, and I want to focus on having a relationship with Jesus. There may also be some people here uh, who have had issues with self-righteousness. And man, I am, that is something I wrestle with. It is so hard not to want to be self-righteous. Um, and I would say use this time of communion to be able to put that aside. And again, focus on the righteousness of Jesus and not your own righteousness. Ask God to help you work on that in your lives. And there's another group of people that I want to speak to, and this is a, this is a big one that, um, you know, maybe you're here this morning, and maybe you've been hurt by religion. Maybe somebody in your life has done something with a self-righteous attitude towards you that, that offended you, that hurt you. And I know that, and this is unfortunate how it works, but what happens is that when, when Christians take an attitude of judgment uh, and condemnation and not have an attitude of grace when they're interacting with somebody and they hurt those people, then those people give up on Christianity because that's, they just think, oh, well, that's what Christians are. And I give, up on, I give up on Jesus because of Christians. And maybe you've been hurt by a Christian before because of something that we've talked about. Um, I would say use this time this morning to just meditate on that and help let that go. And again, focus on Jesus Focus on what he's offering, which is a relationship with him. The ushers are going to pass out the elements, the juice representing the blood of Christ, which was shed for you, and the bread representing the body of Christ, which was broken for you. Nobody's going to tell you when to take the elements. Uh, You can sit there and have a moment to kind of think about this and meditate on this before uh, you take them. You don't have to be a member at River Ridge Church. You don't have to be a regular attender to take communion. We just ask that you place your faith in Jesus Christ to take the communion elements. And then after we have some time to meditate uh, and take the elements, then we're going to stand together and sing one last uh, song together. Let's pray. Father God, we are sorry, Lord, for... um, making this beautiful thing that you have created, um, making it something that's about us and not about uh, your son, not about Jesus, God. And I pray this morning, Lord, you help us just kind of work on that thought, God, this morning. Just um, help us work on the idea of where we are in terms of whether we look at our faith as a religion or whether we look at our faith uh, as a relationship uh, with our Savior, God. Lord, I just pray that you help us Uh, meditate on that and work through that issue in our lives, God, so that at the end of the day we can set aside anything that we have put as a barrier between us and Jesus and we can just focus on that relationship moving forward, God. Focus on our relationship with Jesus and, and appreciate who he is and what he's done in our lives, God. We love you so much. We're so grateful for your son. 
We ask all these things in his name. Amen.